Welcome in, everyone, to episode 152 of the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damien here with David and Matt. Today, we have our first off-season episode as the stove is starting to heat up a little bit. We've got a handful of signings to talk about, a few trades. The final managerial opening got filled, uh, couple, or an interesting name got DF or uh, non-tendered, and then a couple people have been posted from the MPB. Uh, but before we get into all of that, David, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good. Uh, you know, went back down to the south for Thanksgiving uh, with my with my sweetheart. So that was always fun. Um, but you know, got to see a friend and some some family. Obviously, and my parents and you know, eat some turkey, had some mac and cheese. It was all very nice. Uh, and you know, the the baseball off starting in earnest. We got the the non tender deadline and. A lot of moves, a lot of teams making those kind of interesting little roster cut type trades, and we'll get into all that in a little bit. But uh, it's you know back to work today, and uh, you know had a nice a nice vacation and a good rest. So uh, how was your Thanksgiving, Matt? Pretty uh pretty bad actually. I, I've been sick for like two weeks, and uh, I was real sick last the early last week, and uh, I was. I think I had COVID, even though I tested. I did a home test and it was negative, but I'm pretty sure I had COVID. And it knocked out my smell and taste, which is like literally the worst thing that could possibly happen for Thanksgiving. So yeah. that was rough. And uh, I did make it down to the ball game on Saturday at, at Auburn. And it was a wild game. And uh, it was a heartbreaker, but it was fun. And, uh, you know, and, and I'm finally feeling a little bit better this week. And ready to talk a little baseball. I'm excited the offseason should heat up you know, a little bit over the next week or so. We got the winter meetings coming up. So always uh, always an interesting time here, early December in, in the baseball off season. So uh ready to get into it. How have you been, Damien? Uh, I've been doing really well. You know, obviously I missed last last episode at the uh a dog who had a really bad foot infection, but he uh he's doing well, so I'm happy to be back there and uh house sat for my buddy and his uh watched his dog over Thanksgiving, so really just chilled and watched uh football for the entire week and weekend and um it was just a lot of fun but you know obviously we had a uh some interesting stuff happen in the baseball world which uh, usually around thanksgiving period usually dies down a little bit but it was a uh, pretty active this year um which at least gave me something else to uh to sink my teeth into so uh it was overall just a lot of fun just really really chill and hanging out so what do you guys say we we go ahead and jump right into this uh this episode Let's go. Uh, so first off, we're going to go and talk about Aaron Nola. Um, and he ended up re-signing with the Philadelphia Phillies on a seven-year, $172 million contract. Uh, David, I know we were talking a little bit in the the chat around what of our predictions were talking or how our predictions kind of lined up with this. But, uh, you know, what do you think about the deal and, and kind of where you lined up on your prediction? Yeah, so my my whole thing with Aaron Nola was that you know, he's a, he's a workhorse type of guy. And my initial prediction is, oh, was reaction was, oh man, I feel like the Phillies outbid themselves. But the first report coming out was, well, he turned down more money to stay with Philadelphia, which is, you know, the least surprising report you're going to get. I don't know how true that is, but if there's any truth to it at all, I'm legitimately surprised. And what that's telling me is major league baseball teams are valuing innings pitched more than uh, you know, maybe the effectiveness of those innings pitched because a couple of the other guys who signed like first year this week are innings first guys. 
Um, and, you know, Aaron Nola's got that upside of being an ace, but he is crossing 30. And this is, you know, this is $175 million. I mean, this is really big money for a guy coming off an ERA, of, you know, north of 425 um, and definitely, you know, he's the type of guy who he's going to fluctuate season to season. Um, I think his, his the movement on his pitches is such that, you know, he, if he gets locked in, he's really going to excel. And that's where you see some of these seasons where he's gone, gone to kind of like an ace six war type season. And some years he doesn't quite have that movement locked in. And, uh, that, that's what happens this season where he kind of has to throw it down the middle and give up home runs on some of his, uh, you know, straight pitches because I think his curveball and his slider are two of the, the better breaking pitches that were available in this free agent class. Um, you know, I, I think this is the right move for the Phillies. I have no qualms with the Phillies resigning Aaron Nola. I just think that, you know, money wise, he's getting more than like John Lester got like more than Kevin Gosman, Robbie Ray off of Cy Young. I mean, I, this might be more than Blake Snell gets, it's a lot of guarantee for a guy who's had some some issues keeping the ball in the ballpark. And, you know, I was in for, you know, if he was going to get, you know, a, a deal, you know, around that you Darvish, 125, 130. That was where I was like, man, this will be a deal. And so I put my deal with him at 140 and Billy's are up at 175 total guaranteed money. That's a that's a lot of money for a guy who coming off a of ERA up there in the fours. So. Uh, we'll see. Nola's obviously got more upside than that, but you know the fastball took a little bit of a step back last year. I am, I am confident that he will continue to be a workhorse. It, you know, over the length of this deal, I don't think this will Strasburg and and turn into a horrible contract. But uh, I just he's just he worries me on the efficiency of of the the numbers for this deal and the you know the the duration at which the Phillies gave him that offer. Yeah, I mean, uh, anytime you sign a, a seven-year deal, um, you worry about, especially for a 30-year-old, you worry about the last couple of years of it. But, um, I mean, I, I, I don't I, – I mean, I think Aaron Nola, with the exception of Yamamoto, I think Aaron Nola was the best pitcher on the market. Um, he's – his peripherals have been incredible for his entire career. Even this year, they were down, but they were still really good. A 363 XFIP was, like, top 10 in, in the National League. Um, even though, I mean, his, his strikeout rate was a little down, his walk rate was a little up, but they were still elite numbers, especially the walk rate. And, you know, his, his home run per fly ball rate was up, which, I mean, giving up home runs in Citizens Bank Park is different from giving up home runs other places. And, you know, he's put up 33 war in his career. And, you know, he, even, he put up four war this year in what was a down year. So pitches a lot of innings. Uh, he's been durable. And, and I, I mean, you know, seven years, I think that's probably where what got a couple of teams I think the Braves were in on him and gave, tried to give him like six years. I think the Cardinals maybe were the other team that I heard uh, gave him oh. tried to give him five or six years. Um, but they, you know, and the Phillies went an extra year and um, it's a similar deal to what I kind of expected him to get. I mean, like you mentioned, I mean, sometimes the, the stuff isn't insane. So I think that kind of limits his ceiling of how much money he's going to get because you don't just expect him to be Garrett Cole or something. But, I mean, for a high end of the rotation, maybe not a number one every year, but like a a number two that has the potential to occasionally be a number one and a guy whose stuff should continue to play pretty well, especially with his control and command, um, you know, throughout the rest of his career, 
I mean, I I think this was a very solid deal for the Phillies, and uh, you know, I think they did a good job locking him up. Yeah, I think this was a a great deal for the Phillies and for Aaron Nola. It's you you want to keep your homegrown talent there. Nola fits exactly what they have. It gives them some stability, some innings eaters, especially with uh, Zach Wheeler's contracts up after next year. So it gives them that guy that you know can be top of that rotation if Wheeler ends up walking. Um, it just altogether, I think it just was a match made in heaven. I never really thought that he was going to go anywhere else. Um, it was always just going to be about using some other teams to try and get a little bit more money in my eyes. Um, and you know, it, it probably used them to get that extra year. Cause apparently it was, I think there were six years, uh, is what the Aaron Nola's initial ask was earlier, um, in spring training when they were talking and then, uh, the Phillies were at five and I think there was about a $50 million gap is what I, I think I remember reading from one, one of the reporters there. Um, and they were talking about like 150 and the Phillies were at like a hundred million. Um, so they ended up getting that extra year and the Phillies went up, uh, about 70, $70 million there. So good deal for both sides, but, uh, let's go ahead and jump over to the next one, which was. It was one of the more interesting ones I think we had happen initially, and that is the Braves signing Reynaldo Lopez to a three-year, $30 million contract. Uh, it does have a club option for 2027, but the initial plan is to use him as a starter. Uh, so, Matt, you're our resident Braves fan. Why don't you go ahead and uh, talk about this one? Yeah, this is very interesting. Um, Reynaldo Lopez is a guy who, um, you know, he was originally with Washington, got traded in the Adam Eaton trade with Lucas Giolito, then... Um, was with was there in Washington, then he got traded with Lucas Giolito this past year to the Angels, and then he got picked up on waivers with Lucas Giolito to the uh, to the Guardians at the end of the season. But uh, this is a guy who's an absolute flamethrower out of the bullpen. For a lot of his career, he was a starter, and then he went into the bullpen a little bit in 2021, and he's been in the bullpen the last two years. He's an absolute flamethrower. He's a guy who who his in his you know, since he's been in the bullpen, has not had control issues until 2023, which, which his control issues came up a little bit. But he did strike out a ton of guys this year, uh, had an elite strikeout rate. Um, his fastball velocities average had a, was a hit, hit a career high this year at 98.4. Um, had a 3.27 ERA. I think he's a very solid reliever. Uh, has great stuff, and I think it was a really good pickup for the Braves. And and he has been a starter in his past. And a, and a you know a fairly okay starter, um, you know, with the White Sox in 2018, 2019, at least. And he ate a lot of innings. Was not a disaster. Um, peripherals weren't great as a starter, but you know, worst case scenario, you've got a pretty good back end of the bullpen reliever. And you know, you never know when he that he might be able to transition back into being a starter. And he gives you some insurance there in case you have injuries or something. But uh, I really like the signing for the Braves. Three years, ten million, ten million per. Uh, not bad for a for a really solid reliever who's got a you know two to three year track record now of being a good reliever. So I, I was pretty pleased with the signing, and uh, you know I'm excited to see what what he does in Atlanta. My my one caveat on this deal, and I think the Reynaldo Lopez um, deal is always going to be an intriguing one because he could be a you know a guy that's majorly impactful in any bullpen or apparently I guess a rotation, but I wonder a little bit whether the Braves are kind of jumping the gun here with 
trying to insert him as a starter because his stuff ticked up once he stopped starting for the White Sox a few years ago. That's where he's getting those bigger, you know, spin rates and stuff is his he's going max effort for one inning. And I I imagine he'll drop back a little bit when he starts starting again and there won't be quite so much velocity. But, you know, he's got a lot of arm talent and this deal's really cheap. I mean, you know, three years, ten million dollars a year. That's a that's a roster building type of move. And if, you know, it doesn't work out, he's struggles as a starter you just put him back in the bullpen and you know you've got a 10 year 10 million a year reliever that's a fairly reasonable multi-year deal for a reliever anyway so upside of you know maybe stretching him out and starting him downside of having a good reliever i mean this is a you know a slam dunk deal and it's another typical good atlanta deal you know i don't know if we mentioned that they re-signed uh pierce johnson but you know that's another option of uh you know atlanta's going to have a lot of high velocity in that bullpen to pair with ricella glacius and a few of those other guys yeah, and I think that's a good point, David. I, I'll be I'll be surprised if he starts a game for the Braves next year. I think mm-hmm. he'll. I think a lot of it's probably just they'll train him as a starter in the off season for, you know, just for insurance in case they're not able to add another one, which I think they're for sure trying to do. Um, or if you know somebody got hurt or something, you know, and they might need to try it. Like I think it's just kind of adversatility, and, and you know, you might as well train him as a starter. So. Uh, but I, I'll be shocked if he actually starts for Atlanta. I think he's going to definitely be in the bullpen. It wouldn't be a, a bad idea just to see if you can get lightning in a bottle there or something, but most likely going to be a bullpen arm for them. Uh, so let's jump over to the National League Central where we had the Cardinals make a flurry of moves, bringing back an old friend in Lance Lynn on a one-year $10 million deal with a club option, uh, bringing in Kyle Gibson on a one-year $12 million deal with a $12 million club option, and then also signing Sonny Gray to a three-year $75 million contract with a $25 million option for 2027, so a chance to be uh, four for $100 million there. Um, so Cardinals making a flurry moves. We knew they needed to upgrade that pitching staff and they brought in a lot of old people, but they did bring in a lot of innings, uh, there. So David, what do you think about your, uh, your NL central rival there in the Cardinals? Well, I think the, the first thing is I'm taking a picture of their rotation next year, especially with Lance Lynn in it. And I'm taking it to every hitting free agent that I'm talking to and saying, Hey, guess what you get to play against this year? Um, <laughs> Lance Lynn, man, he he gave up a lot of home runs the last couple of years with the Dodgers and the White Sox. And, you know, and Kyle Gibson hasn't been all that much better at limiting contact. But what both of those guys bring is health and stability and, you know, the ability to go every five days and, and out, go out and pitch every five days without, um, you know, getting injured a lot or, you know, having that same level of effectiveness. And that level of effectiveness isn't always terribly good, right? I mean, these guys, these are guys you know, especially in Kyle Gibson's case that hover with an ERA, you know, up in the four high fours, low fives, they're able to go out every single day and, and eat innings. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's something to be said for that because I truly doubt the Cardinals had that last year. And it was a big reason as to why they were such a, such a mess. They had no stability in that rotation. There was no leadership and they went out and brought in three veterans, right? And objectively, if you separate the Sonny Gray move from the other two, I think Sonny Gray is a, a really good fit for the Cardinals. You know, we talked about how how much they need, you know, help in that rotation. 
the Sonny Gray deal was always going to be a pretty solid deal for for anyone because I mean he was just a finalist for the Cy Young. He's a a guy who has missed bats his entire career. You know, I doubt he'll come over to the Cardinals and struggle. He's always you know he's already been in the NL Central with the Reds. He's he's pitched against a lot of these teams. I I think this is that one's a slam dunk move, right? And I like Kyle Gibson as a second you know, deep in your rotation starting pitcher anyway. You know, this is a guy who has a, a slider with a 50% whiff rate right now. Um, you know, he's a he's a guy I was very intrigued in as a back-end guy for the Cubs where maybe you could tweak some some pitch mix and get there. But both Kyle, uh, Kyle Gibson and, and Lance Lynn just have some big-time struggles throwing that their fastballs up in the zone, right? I mean, it gets just crushed. And... You know, the, the Cardinals are going to need those guys to take steps forward in their late 30s, which is something that doesn't usually happen, right? You know, Lance Lynn's just not going to magically get back to the, the guy he used to be. And I'm certain he'll show flashes. It was exactly how he was last year. But remember, he gave up four home runs in an inning in the game that eliminated the Dodgers. So, um, you know, I think the Lance Lynn move is funny. But it's not a move that's going to strike fear into anybody's heart, right? It's it's the the kind of thing that the, the Cardinals needed. They need that stability, and and those guys are going to bring that. You know, they're going to bring that veteran veteran leadership to the rotation. But at the end of the day, I I don't know that this team is a ton better on the back end. Now, Sonny Gray helps a lot, but they started the year, the year last year with Jordan Montgomery, and you saw where it got them. So I think this is a a team floundering a little bit, trying to kind of throw up three different darts at the wall and see what sticks. We'll see. But, um, you know, objectively, I like the Sonny Gray deal. I think that one's a good one. Uh, the other ones, I'm not so sure about. So yeah. the one thing, or sorry, go ahead, Matt. No, I was going to say, I, I'm, I, I like the way the Cardinals have approached this offseason. They knew that they needed a lot of pitchers because they really only had one guy returning from last year that you feel even like, you know, somewhat good about and and Michael has had a little bit of a down year but you know that he's the only guy you even felt like was adequate to put in your rotation uh, you know Steven Matz was going to be their number two I'm pretty sure if they didn't make any moves so uh they knew they needed a lot so and they knew that they're not going to be able to sign four different guys that have you know that are the top guys in the market so um, they brought in Kyle Gibson, who should work really well as a number four, number five. His peripherals are actually pretty good compared to his – like his ERA has been a little high these last couple of years, but his peripherals have been good. He, he had a 4.13 FIP this year, 4.13 XFIP. Um, his home run rate is really not that bad. He, he doesn't throw very hard. He's got to keep the ball down, but uh, gets a lot of grounders. Um, that should play really well with the Cardinals infield defense that includes Arenado. And then, you know, their, their new shortstop Mason Wynn is supposed to be really good defensively. Uh, then of course you've got Goldschmidt at first and, 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 you know, they typically have a good second baseman, whether it's Edmund or, or Donovan or somebody. So uh, they should have pretty good infield defense. That should help Lance, uh, help Kyle Gibson. Lance Lynn's a little bit more of a kind of a, Throw him out there as your number five starter for first, you know, month or two, and see what you get. Um, he still gets swing and miss. I think that's kind of what they were looking for with him. Like he still gets his swing and miss, but you know, the home run ball was obviously crazy for him last year. And I, I definitely don't know if that's a move that's going to pay dividends. But um, you know, it's definitely somebody to kind of keep an eye on to see if he can bounce back, especially being somewhere familiar again. Maybe they you know, find something with him. And then the Sonny Gray move, I think it's just, you're getting a guy who 
you know, I don't know if he's going to pitch to a 279 ERA this year again, but I think you're getting a guy who's going to be pretty good. And um, he's fairly durable. You know, these in 2021, 2022, didn't pitch a ton of innings, but 184 in 2023, you know, he's always been a really solid pitcher. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what they need is solid pitchers. So, you know, they might even be looking at one more move. Um, they've, they've also got a few young guys that maybe, uh, you know, they could try out, see if if could crack the rotation. Um, you know, they still have Steven Matz as a number five, maybe. Uh, but we'll see what happens. I, I do like how they approached this, though. Make got some insurance by bringing in Kyle Gibson and Lynn, and then they were able to get one of the one of the top guys in, in Sunny Gray to really anchor their rotation. I, I like I like how they approach this. Yeah. So my thing um, that I like about this these moves are the Cardinals as a team last year had 48 quality starts as a team. Uh, the three offseason moves that they've made so far, these three pitchers accumulated 47 quality starts themselves last year. So you're bringing in a bunch of innings eaters that are going to be able to keep you in games. Um, and the Cardinals always have a strong defense. We know that they're, they have the ability to put up a bunch of runs um, with Goldschmidt, Arenado, I mean, if they they get, you know, Wilson Contreras can still put up some runs for them too. The, the the one thing I like about this is that they haven't made any trades yet. I mean, we were talking about this being a team that had a bunch of depth on the in, middle infield or um, a bunch of prospect depth that they can turn around and make a big deal, and even not even prospect depth. I mean, they have Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson, who are two major league pieces that they kind of don't have a spot for. Um, they haven't made that move yet. You can easily make a move for one of these bigger pitchers that we're talking about on the market of a, a glass. Now Dylan Cease. I mean, we know they're connected to the Mariners a lot with all of their guys. And and then if you're talking about like, Hey, you got one of those guys, Sonny Gray, Miles Michaelis, and then like Gibson and Lynn are your four and five. They're at like 10 and $12 million, which is about market value for that level of pitcher. I mean, what we saw Mike Clevenger get $12 million last year. Like Matt, Matthew Boyd got $9 million. I mean, Lance Lynn taking the shot there, put it, getting him back into a place where he started his career. You also have to think that the home run rate probably won't stay this exact. You know, it'll probably come down a little bit from what it was this last year, especially playing in Chicago a lot. Um, I, I just think that, you know, this team's going to be able to be solid enough on the pitching side where their defense and their offense are able to keep them in games um, more than what they were able to this last year. Um, so I think all of these moves kind of make a bunch of sense and they're not really breaking the market for it at all. So, uh, so let's jump from one central division to the other central division and go to the AL central where the, Detroit Tigers signed Kenta Maeda to a two-year, $24 million contract. So, Matt, what do you think about this one? I, I like this deal for the Tigers. Um, I don't know what their financial situation is, so if it limits them in other ways, I, I don't know about it. But I think that you know it's a guy who's a good bounce-back candidate. Um, coming off of Tommy John surgery this year, you know the stuff was kind of back from, from what it was before. Um, you know, he had a – you know, he had, he had a lot of swing and miss, uh, over 10 strikeouts per nine, and, and he didn't walk a ton of guys. The velocity was back in the same realm of where it was before the injury. Um, so he was 
throwing pretty good control, uh, still getting swing and miss, and the stuff seemed to be kind of what it was. Um, the results weren't fantastic, but they were pretty good. Uh, 104 innings, he got a, had a 4.23 ERA with a, a 4.02 FIP. Um, you know, I don't know if he'll be able to repeat. Um, you know, what he did a couple times in, in L.A. with the Dodgers or, or definitely what he did in the short in 2020 season when he was a legit Cy Young contender. But I think he's a really solid, like, number three, number four, maybe number four starter because of the injuries. Um, he's a little bit up there in age. But this is a guy who, you know, he's still got the swing and miss to where you could see him having a one really good season in him where he either – helps the Tigers be in the race or the Tigers could flip him at the deadline for somebody. So I, I do like this move, um, you know, solid pitcher. I'm very glad to see him getting a, getting a nice payday um, after the injury. Cause anytime you see a 34 year old go through Tommy John surgery, um, you know, you kind of worry if they're ever going to get another payday and um, you know, $24 million is nothing to scoff at. So uh, definitely a, um, Definitely, you know, I like this move on both ends, and uh, we'll see if it works. I love Kenta Maeda here. I think this is a, a a move for the Tigers to aim at competitiveness and be able to flip to uh, opportun, you know, getting an opportunistic sell piece if they do crumble again, right? You know, you think a, a guy like Kenta Maeda who gets a lot of swing and miss in his profile, right? He's got a lot of nasty stuff. You know, that's kind of part of the reason that he was even in this situation in the first place is his delivery is really violent. He's got a, you know, a lot of arm action and, and he ends up with a lot of swing and miss that, you know, that's the kind of guy who can really explode for you, especially in like a half a season's time. And then you've got, you know, 1.5 years of control, pretty cheap deal. Uh, I could very well see him being one of the premier options available at the deadline this year. Um, and if not, you know, they can reevaluate, next year as to whether you trade him in the offseason at 12 million for next year and again at the end of next offseason so right so you have three opportunities to kind of capitalize on this deal for for what is a pretty cheap overall contract i really like it uh, i like that maeda can get to pitch in detroit it might suppress his era number a little bit and uh you know even make him even more attractive to some of these com competitive teams uh so this is a good move i think uh, on both ends and you know maeda gets another contract he's what I think he gets to be a free agent at 37. So, you know, he'll probably get another one or two year deal then as well. And uh, yeah, I envision he'll uh, continue to get that swing and miss here and, uh, you know, excel in Detroit. Yeah. Kent is a very, very solid pitcher. Um, you know, it sucks that he had started in, in that 2020 season. He was having a really good year and ended up blowing out his arm. And he's kind of struggled ever since he kind of got back from there. But um you know, I think going to Detroit, he's staying in division there, but going to a more pitcher-friendly ballpark there, um, you know, I think he'll be he'll be a great addition to that team, especially with the young pitchers that they have. They're trying to develop, um, and that keep getting injured kind of themselves. Uh, he'll be a nice guy to kind of just go in there, and I don't know how much mentoring he'll really be able to do, but just being able to watch a guy like Maeda put in the work that he does um, day in and day out, and what he's able to do. Uh, on the mound, I think it would be great for all those young pitchers. And like you said, it, it's a very, very affordable salary at twelve million dollars per year. It's will be very uh, sought after at the deadline if they look to make that kind of a move, or even next off season um, if they if they're kind of looking to make that move to you know free up some rotation space for some of their younger guys too. So, uh, very good deal for the Tigers and for Maeda, and and hope he does well there. Um, 
one smaller move we did have in the uh, in the AL Central too was that the Chicago White Sox signed Paul DeYoung to a one year one point seven five million dollar contract. Um, kind of just brought him in probably as a uh, a spring training type thing. See if he uh, can battle out for that shortstop spot. Uh, we'll talk about here in a little bit with a, a trade they made about potential options battling there, but another smaller move that the White Sox made um, to bring in a, a shortstop there. Uh, so the last signing that we had, uh, free agent signing at least, is that the Los Angeles Dodgers have re-signed Jason Hayward to a one-year $9 million deal. Um, so he'll be back playing mostly right field against um, – right-handers to allow Mookie to play some second base, but um, you know, he signed on a minor league deal last year now gets a, uh, a major league deal, a pay bump from what the Dodgers were paying him, but a pay decrease over um, with what the Cubs were paying them from last year. But David, what do you think about this deal? Yeah, no, it's uh, the official, the Jason Hayward contract in Chicago, which is the single most expensive contract the Cubs have ever handed out to a free agent that is complete and he played probably his best offensive season of it with the Dodgers, which, you know, that's, that's about how that, that's about how it goes. Um, this isn't surprising, right? I mean, the Dodgers used him really, really well. They have the depth to hide a, a bat like his, which the Cubs never really did. Uh, they also have the defensive capability of like an MVP candidate, Mookie Betts, who can kind of man that's that right field spot, but also shift off so that Hayward can step in there and play his still good yet, you know, declining as he gets older defense. Um, you know, J- Jason Hayward's a really good guy, really good clubhouse presence. Every clubhouse he's ever been in has only raved about him. Uh, you know, I wish nothing for the best, but the best for Jason Hayward. Um, but. You know, it's good that he's found a home with the Dodgers and uh, that he's having success there. It's it's one of those where I always kind of wish what could have been, but um, you know that you know, hopefully that his swings they keep, they leave his swing the same as it was last year. Don't try to tweak anything because that's when all the problems started. Yeah, I I like you know I like Jason Hayward of course. Um, you know he was he's been a really good player, great defensive player for a long time. He's Still pretty good there. I mean, like you said, he's declining a little bit with age, but he's still solid in, in right field. Um, you know, he he hit well this year in, in you know playing mostly against right-handed pitching, but um, you know, I, I don't quite expect him to hit at the same level he did this past year. I, I think the slugging might have been might have been a little bit higher than than he's probably going to do, but he. He did, you know, he's he's always good. He's he's been a pretty good bone base guy for a lot of his career. Even when even in Chicago, you know, with the exception of his last two years there, he he was pretty good on base guy. And um, you know, he's just a solid platoon guy. He got a contract that, you know, I, I think he probably could have gotten a little bit more money based on how he played last year. But he's a corner outfielder that's that's a platoon guy. So, um, you know, pretty fair for him. And um, you know, I think the Dodgers are definitely happy to bring him back I, I think he's definitely happy to be there because you know they they you know he he kind of resurrected his career a little bit there and he's fit in really well and I'm sure that he didn't want to kind of try to hop somewhere else for a few million more dollars and ruin that so definitely uh you know definitely good on both sides and um I'm sure he will be pretty successful this year yeah and he gets to stay with his best friend Freddie Freeman um that's a that's a big thing no i mean that's that's a legit thing they're yeah. they're like best friends um and freddie was a big reason why jason came here in the first place and that was the first thing that apparently freddie walked into friedman's office uh you know after in, in the off season and said we need to make sure we bring hayward back so 
um, you know, that they got the deal done and he'll play uh, mostly against righties there. But uh, let's jump over to the trades that we had happen. And the big trade we had was the Arizona Diamondbacks and Seattle Mariners linking up with the Seattle Mariners trading Eugenio Suarez to the Diamondbacks for catcher Sebi Zavala and uh, pitcher Carlos Vargas. So Matt, what do you think about the Diamondbacks acquiring Eugenio Suarez? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, definitely an interesting move. Um, you know, I think the Diamondbacks had a little bit of money they were willing to spend. Uh, so they got they took on his contract. And, I mean, Eugenio Suarez is still a useful player. He's got his flaws. He strikes out an absolute ton. Um, you know, his slugging was way down this year, but Seattle is a tough place to hit a lot of home runs. Um, so I think he'll probably hit a little bit better in Arizona. Um, you know, still a good defender. He actually had a great season defensively this year, um, which is, which is kind of crazy, but good player. Um, you know, I don't think he moves the needle a ton, but you know, you're looking at a team that made the world series with Emmanuel Rivera and what's left of Evan Longoria playing third base most of the year. So, um, you know, he's probably an upgrade over that. And, uh, you know, the, the guys they gave up for him, um, you know, Carlos Vargas, I think he's a reliever. Um, you know, he came up and he throws really hard, but, you know, he's definitely had the command issues in the minor leagues. Uh, and, you know, he only pitched four innings at the big league level. So he's kind of a, a really solid reliever prospect. And, um, you know, that's that's definitely something that's going to help the, um, the Mariners as they had um, – you know, they, they had a similar type of guy in uh, Andres Munoz that came in and, and did really well there. And then, you know, Sebi Zavala is just, you know, a backup catcher. And I'm, I guess the Mariners, you know, they needed somebody behind Kyle Raleigh. So it made sense to bring him in. Um, you know, he's a veteran guy. He's been around a while. So he could definitely handle catching once or once a week or so. So uh, definitely a good, um, you know, I, I think it's a solid trade on both ends. And, you know, the Diamondbacks kind of got to buy a little bit of, you know, say, hey, we, we've got a little bit of money to spend, so we can get a third baseman this way on a, in a weak market. And the Mariners got, you know, a high upside reliever and, and you know, uh, and they filled a need with a backup catcher. You know, I, I'm i a little disappointed that the, the Diamondbacks are the ones that made this move, right? I, I had gone and, you know, when we were looking through third base targets for the Cubs, as alternates to Matt Chapman, Eugenio Suarez came up, and I definitely would have preferred him to Matt Chapman, especially given the, the cost here. I, I mean, I think the Diamondbacks got away with high-ray robbery, robbery a little bit. You know, Eugenio Suarez is not the guy he was with the Reds a few years ago when he hit 49 home runs in the, the juice ball year. Um, but what he is is a fairly consistent player who is capable of playing every day, playing good to you know solid to good defense at third base this year was a bit of an exception where he played great defense at third base um and you know he hits a lot of home runs he's going to strike out a pretty solid sizable amount but he's got a good plate approach he walks a bunch to make up for it this year he didn't hit so many home runs right and the the mariners were worried about the, the swing amount of swing and miss in their lineup, you know, between Teoscar Hernandez and Eugenio Suarez. And, um, you know, even J-Rod had some swing and miss issues. He was struck out like 25% of the time. Um, you know, they had a lot of guys who just weren't making contact. Jared Kellenick's another one. They just had a lot of guys who weren't making contact. They're trying to get more contact oriented up there. Um, you know, I, I do think that this is going to be a, 
you know, a, a good move for the Diamondbacks and a move the Mar- the Mariners probably won't regret. But I I would think that you know they could have maybe gotten a little bit more for him. And Zavala's a yeah backup catcher like Matt said, and Vargas is kind of a you know a reliever at best. I I think Eugenio Suarez had a little more in the tank. Uh, I think he could have gotten back to maybe a 30 home run type of season. And, uh, you know, it's it, the Diamondbacks are going to benefit from this, right? I mean, that's a team that just went to the World Series that definitely gets better here. They get a more reliable face at third base. And, um, you know, we'll see if he can uh, get back to that power that he showed off the the first year in Seattle and, you know, the last couple of years in Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, this is – I feel like this is kind of exactly what Arizona really needed from this third base spot. I mean, we heard that they were going to be, you know, interested in Matt Chapman. And like David said, you know, they got basically the Matt Chapman type kind of production for a backup catcher and a uh, a, a bullpen arm that, you know, might not make it um, here. And and for all accounts, too, Eugenio Suarez is, is a good leader. He, that Seattle clubhouse really loved him. Um, so bringing even more of strong leadership to an Arizona team, you know, they have a bunch of younger guys there, Corbin Caro, Alec Thomas, Geraldo Perdomo, um, you know, Dominic Fletcher, I mean, all those, the outfielders that they're going to have there gives them some stability at third base here and just gives them another power bat, which is one thing they were kind of lacking. I mean, they had, you know, you had Christian Walker and you had Cattell Marte, but outside of that, they really didn't have much power in that lineup. Um, I mean, Corbin Carroll hit, what, 20 homers, I think, as well. But uh, Eugenio Suarez is a guy who can give you 30-plus there. So I think it's a really good fit for the Diamondbacks. It's really cheap for them. Uh, And and then on the Mariners' side, I don't know what they're doing here. Like, I don't know if this is like just the pure salary dump and and they're going to try and reinvest that somewhere or if they're really hurting that much financially right now. it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but Jerry DePoto also works in weird, weird ways. So we'll just have to, to see what happens uh, in the long haul there. But overall, it's just a, a very good trade for the Diamondbacks, very weird trade for the Mariners, and, and we can only see what happens uh, from here. But uh, another trade that we had happened, which was – it was kind of more of the kind of shocking trade. We, it was right around the non-tender deadline, but that was the White Sox and Braves lining up on a trade to see Aaron Bummer go from Chicago to Atlanta for five players. Uh, Mike Soroka, Jared Schuster, Brendan Sh- Braden Shoemake, Nikki Lopez, and Riley Goins. Uh, so, Matt, you can probably tell us uh, you know, about some of these players that the Braves gave up there and, and why it makes sense to get Aaron Bummer. Yeah, well, first off, Aaron Bummer um... – you know, being the key piece of the trade, he's a really good reliever. I think he, he had a really high ERA this year, but it was way higher than all his peripherals. And you know, for his career, he's been really solid. Um, a two thirty six ERA in twenty twenty two. He had an O ninety six ERA, but it was just in like ten innings in twenty twenty. But um, you know, he he's been a really solid reliever, a lefty. Uh, the Braves have um, you know AJ Minter as a lefty, um, but you know behind him you don't really have a ton because you don't know what you're going to get from Tyler Matzik coming off of Tommy John surgery. Uh, Dylan Lee dealt with a lot of injuries last year. Those were kind of your two primary lefties behind Minter. So now you went out and got Aaron Bummer, who is probably better than – he's not better than Matzik at his best, but you know it, it, he's at least a more stable option than either one of those guys at this point. 
um, to be kind of your second lefty in the bullpen. And he's also got a lot of control left. He's got a few years. And I do think he mentors a free agent after next year. So um, definitely a guy to, to kind of look out for here is, is Aaron Bummer. But, um, you know, the guys the games, Braves gave up for him, I think got a lot more. I think there was some shock value to this trade because of the names. Mike Soroka being the main one. And, you know, he's dealt with so many injuries. He had the double Achilles tear where he, he tore his Achilles and was coming back and just walking into the clubhouse toward again, which was crazy and a freak injury. Um, he's dealt with shoulder injuries a couple times. This past year he was shut down with the, at the end of the season with a, I don't remember if it was, I think it was forearm, a forearm strain, but it didn't involve his UCL. Um, so he, he didn't need Tommy John surgery or anything, but they had to shut him down anyways. And he just, he really struggled coming back this year. He pitched, 87 innings at AAA and was was fine there. He did he had a 4.42 xFIP, which was pretty rough. His other peripherals were fine. 3.41 ERA. He was really not good at all at the big league level though, and he was definitely going to be non-tendered because he doesn't have any options. And the Braves can't afford to have him work it out at, at the major league level on a on the roster that's trying to compete for the World Series. So he wasn't going to be back with the Braves. Um, so they went ahead and shipped him off. Jared Schuster's a former first round pick who just his stuff's just not very good at all at this point um he and his control just completely went away last year you know both at triple a and in the big league level he was just really really rough um so he is a former first rounder he had a great change up so which is kind of a feel pitch so you know but i think he's going to be like triple a depth nicky lopez is interesting he's a guy that um he's an excellent defensive player and he I think the Braves do like him, but because of his sixth war season in 2021, his arbitration value is going to be a little bit inflated for a guy who is really just a you know utility bench player that can play defense if you get if you get in trouble. So he he's a guy that I think that the Braves didn't want to spend. The Braves felt like they could spend. They didn't have to spend four million dollars on a guy like Nicky Lopez because that's what his arb potential was so that they could probably get a guy similar to him for you know the major league minimum or a minor league deal or something so that's why they included him Braden Shoe makes another former first rounder who just has not hit anywhere he's been and Riley Goins is just a low in low minors reliever uh really a non-prospect you never know with a guy that's in you know a ball but you know he hadn't really done too much he was a recent draftee so uh definitely a wild trade so many names got moved in this one, but I, I really do like this from both ends. I mean, the White Sox get a couple of guys that you could maybe uh, you could maybe see figuring it out if they get some real big league playing time, and then the Braves get a lefty reliever that they need, and, and one that could be really really good if he's um, you know if he's if he's able to you know if his peripherals are lined up more with his actual what he's going to do, and uh, kind of getting away from the White Sox probably helps with that too. But uh, definitely definitely an interesting trade here. Yeah, you know, I, I I like Aaron Bummer as a as a trade target. You know, this trade felt like very much like it was kind of a Aaron Bummer for Braden Shoemake as a post hype prospect with hey, we want to take on the guys you're definitely gonna non tender and see if we can't sign them to a one year deal and, you know, agree to the tender those contracts type of deal because you know, we the White Sox didn't want to go go all the way to free agency with some of these guys and uh it seems like a 
a wise little move for the White Sox. You know, they pick up a lot of bodies. And when you're a team that's definitely in the middle of a rebuild, you need a lot of bodies. Um, you know, I, I, I think Nicky Lopez and Paul DeJong can kind of fight out, fight it out for that shortstop spot, kind of officially move on from Tim Anderson. And, um, you know, I, I, I think the Mike Soroka deal is certainly an interesting one. The White Sox have shown to be able to reclaim some starting pitchers and you know get the most out of some of those some of guys in that role so hopefully Soroka can kind of get going there and I think Aaron Bummer as kind of the seventh inning lefty for this Braves bullpen is going to be really nasty uh he'll have a actual good defense behind him this year so I think he'll you know that ERA might match his fit his left on base percentage won't be in the 50 percents right like he it just seemed like Aaron Bummer got really really unlucky last year and uh, you know, for a guy who throws a power sinker and has a, a really, really nasty off-speed pitch, uh, you know, you would have thought, you know, I think it's a sweeper, right? You know, you would have thought this is a guy who would have gotten better results, and he just wasn't able to do it in front of uh, the White Sox defense. So, you know, with the Braves, you know, he makes, what, the third Braves bullpen addition this offseason. The Braves have very clearly made a plus Reynaldo Lopez, so really four. The Braves have made a very clear, concerted effort to improve their bullpen, which was maybe their one weak spot before last year. So uh, I think we'll see the Braves maybe make another addition in the starting rotation. But yeah, that's a team that's very focused on, uh, you know, going from being the best team in baseball all season, but losing in the playoffs to being the best team in baseball and winning in the playoffs next year. I think that's a very clear goal for the Braves. Yeah, it's wild that all the Braves have to do is just look at starting pitching upgrades because their lineup is set for like 37 years. Um, that kind of helps. But um, the Braves did have a little another other trade that we needed to kind of hit on here a little bit, and that's the Kyle Wright to the Royals for Jackson Coar. So, Matt, why don't you go ahead and explain that one a little bit more too? Yeah, so Kyle Wright was Kyle Wright had had a uh, shoulder injury um, this past year that kept him out most of the year, and then at the end of the season they had to do like an exploratory surgery, and they found some like I think it was like capsule repair they had to do or something. So he's going to miss all of next year. And um, I think the Braves wanted to go ahead and just move him because he is owed real money, you know, after his 2022 season. And, um, you know, he's in ARB now and he's 27. He will not pitch this year because of the injury. So he won't be pitching again until he's 29, has a one good big league season. But other than that, a pretty shaky track record and a and he's, you know, coming off of a shoulder injury, which in a lot of ways is worse than coming off an elbow injury. I mean, it's just really shoulders can be tricky and you never know how that's, how the shoulder injuries are going to turn out. And he was really rough in his 31 innings this year too. Um, so it sucks to see him get traded. He's, you know, former first round pick top five pick um, who in 2022, it looked like he was finally figuring it out. And then he just, you know, had all the injury issues this year and you just don't know what you're going to get from him. So the Braves went ahead and moved him, uh, and got Jackson Coar for him, who is a kind of one of those post height prospect type guys. Uh, he still does get a lot of swing and miss, but the walks have been a problem for him throws hard. So, you know, he's kind of a, a flyer. Maybe you can put him in triple a for, for the beginning of the season. He could figure out a, uh, you know, figure out a, um, he could, he could figure out his pitch mix a little bit. You know, maybe find something you could end up with a, a reliever that 
a hard throwing reliever. And from the Royals' perspective, I mean, Kyle Wright's a great add for them. They really need arms. And Kyle Wright's a guy that if he can recover fully from his injury, come back in 2025, you're not going to be competitive this year. You get him in 2025, and you know you could. There's a there's a world where Kyle Wright comes back and he's healthy and he repeats his 2022 season where when he won, you know, 21 21 games had a 3.19 ERA and 180 innings. So um, there's a world where Kyle Wright is is a great pickup for the Royals. I just think that the Braves didn't. They need help this year, and the uncertainty on, on that injury and everything was made him made him want to move him. So definitely an interesting deal, and uh, you know I, I really like this one for both sides. Yeah. Um, so we had another trade happen right around the non-tender deadline as well. Um, it was kind of a smaller deal, but it was a reliever for reliever with the Padres and Guardians. Uh, lining up on a deal this, that sees Aniel De La Santos go to the Padres and Scott Barlow go to the Guardians. Uh, so, David, what do you think about this deal? Yeah, I mean, the Guardians are an interesting team here this offseason because they can either potentially jump onto that seller's market and maybe trade Shane Bieber and, you know, start kind of focusing on the future a little bit and trying to develop some of their younger guys. Or, especially with with a new manager coming, or they can kind of go for it a little bit and, you know, going for Scott Barlow, there's definitely an upside play here where Barlow kind of stunk when he got over to San Diego last year. He was maybe a hot commodity right around the time he went, you know, got, you know, the trade deadline hit last year. A lot of people were talking about him going to the Rangers in that era of this Chapman trade, and it never materialized, right? But, um, you know, the thing about Scott Barlow is he's got some upside, and he's got a bit of a track record of being a pretty successful pitcher. And, you know, the Guardians can definitely potentially flip him back at the deadline once again. we've They've shown that they're willing to make flips like that, especially like they did with Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez at the, at the deadline this year. So, it, it, you know, this is a a creative team making a creative move. And Yaldi Los Santos is a, a guy who's got, you know, underperformed a little bit, but has, you know, a, a good fastball. He's the type of pitcher that you, you think maybe one small tweak to his pitch arsenal, pitch mix, you know, shapes something would you know unlock another level for him i don't know if the padres are the team that are gonna, is going to be able to do that you know that's a team that's kind of failed in terms of bullpen execution over the last couple of years you know especially last year with the, the their record in like uh extra innings games being so bad but, um and de los santos is a, is a guy who definitely has some upside and has a couple of years of control left still on them so um, you know, the Padres can figure him out. He throws, you know, 95, 96. And I don't think the numbers really matter here. You know, if he goes to San Diego and has success, then, you know, it's going to be a really good move for him. But, you know, Barlow is a little more of a sure thing and has a more track record. But I think De Los Santos might be the better pitcher in the long run. And it's just going to be whether San Diego can make those adjustments. Um, this could be a complete non-factor type of deal, but it's, yeah, it could also, you know, be something we're revisiting if either of these teams decides to sell next deadline, because these two might be two of the better pieces that they have in their bullpen to sell off. So there you go. Yeah, and it cleared some salary off those San Diego books, too. I think that's Barlow, Barlow's a free agent next year. Um, De Los Santos is, is pretty cheap, so. Right. Um so that is all with the transactions of signings and trades. So let's jump over to the miscellaneous part. And it's kind of a good segue. We're talking about the Padres already. Um, so it'd be a good time to mention that they did officially hire their new manager in hiring Mike Schilt. Uh, I believe he was bench coach for them last year, or he was some, he was on the staff in some sort um, in uniform. 
uh, for the Padres there. But, you know, the former Cardinals manager, who I think we all said when it happened, when he got fired, that we didn't really get it. Uh, he's now got another opportunity here in San Diego uh, to be to be their manager. Uh, so, Matt, what do you think about this one? I mean, I think Mike Schilt did a did a fine job when he was a manager for the Cardinals. Um, you know, he was they they went on a huge run, made the playoffs. Um, he, he got he got fired and won National League Manager of the Year in the same season, which is kind of crazy. Um, but I definitely think that that was a mistake by the Cardinals because I don't even if you don't love Mike Schilt, um, you know. The, the replacement for him has not worked at all. So, I, I mean, I think that this was a good, um, you know, and I think it's a good move for the Padres. I mean, they obviously like him. I, it's hard to say what the Padres are going to, it's hard to say how successful they're going to be. And if things get pinned on him, because their team's probably not going to be as talented this year as it was last year. And I mean, if the Bob Melvin can't figure it out there, I don't know how he's that much better um, than Bob Melvin, but, you know, I think Mike Schilt's a fine hire. He's he's done a good job before. He's got experience as a manager, and uh, you know, we'll see if he's able to. Um, you know, we'll see if he's able to figure it out with the Padres. What tells me that you know the Mike Schilt hire is a good move is the Cardinals' kind of imminent collapse as soon as he left. Right? I mean, they made the playoffs that year that that he managed, but after that, they have not been nearly the same squad. And you, know, you look at the. The, the kind of disaster it's been this year under Raleigh Marmel. I mean, I, I do wonder whether Schilt sticking around would have been the right move for them. And, you know, this is a very, a very reasonable deal for the, for the Padres who, you know, they lose Bob Melvin. Bob Melvin was supposed to be kind of the guy who catalyzed that ascent to the top and with the, the change in ownership now and all the fluctuation of the, the, the Bali sports and, uh, the TV rights deal and stuff, you know, cutting off the money flow a little bit from the Padres. You know, this Mike Schultz, a, a really solid candidate. You know, we we saw them get bandied around with a few, you know, more wild candidates, but this is a really safe one. I don't know that that he moves the needle a lot for this Padres team, right? There's still a lot of holes on this team, and if they're gonna get a, get through this offseason without trading Juan Soto, they have a lot of needs to plug with a probably a limited budget. So. You know, we'll see whether Mike Schilt can kind of steer them the right direction here. And he's going to have to manage a lot of superstars and a lot of egos. But it seemed like he was pretty good at that as, as the Cardinals manager. So, you know, I, I kind of think that, that, that he'll be all right for this job and that this is a good manager hire. Yeah, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be fine, it, it, depending on what their roster looks like, given the what they're going to have to do, you know, financially wise. Um, it, are they going to have Soto? Are they not going to have Soto? I mean, what moves do they have to make? How bad are their books really? Um, or what do they have to actually get to? Um, that's going to depend on a lot of it, but I think Mike Schilt will be a, a fine manager for him. Um, and we'll, we'll see how it works out. Uh, so a couple little miscellaneous notes just to hit on real quick. Um, we've talked about Yoshinobi Yamamoto before he was officially posted. Um, and his 45 day, uh, Negotiating window ends January 4th, so he has to sign uh, by that day or at the end of that day. Um, and all all accounts are that he'll sign probably after the winter meetings next week. Uh, he's going to take final visits with teams after that point. Uh, so we got that. And then Shota uh, 
I always mess this up. Imanaga. There we go. Yep. Uh, he was also posted, uh, I believe today was his first official day um, being posted. So his date is January 12th that he has to sign by. Um, so both those pictures are out there. And then we know the Jung Ho Lee, um, he'll be posted in early December, but we'll get to that one here in a little bit. But Yamamoto and uh, Amanga is posted. So um, we officially know their dates and when they have to sign by. So at least we know some guaranteed action by those days. Um, and then looking at the non-tender list, um, really one interesting name that we kind of wanted to hit it on here is that the Milwaukee Brewers non-tendered Brandon Woodruff. Um, you know, it was right before the playoffs rosters were set. It came out that Woodruff had a shoulder injury uh, that was going to require surgery. He was going to miss all of the 2024 season. Um, I believe his number was going to be 15 million or 18 million in arbitration, uh, something around there. And that basically the Brewers would, you know, uh, Brewers as a team that don't really spend big money anyways, uh, weren't going to be able to pay that for a guy who wasn't going to pitch for them. Uh, so he got non-tendered there and all indications are he'll sign a two to three year deal on the market. But, uh, were you guys shocked to see that Brandon Woodruff got non-tendered? I'm, I wasn't shocked after I saw it. Cause I, I didn't, I didn't really think of it. You know, just like that the non-tender deadline, it wasn't something that was like on the top of my mind, but it doesn't really surprise me. I mean, you know, the Milwaukee's a team that's strapped for, for money every year, and they, um, you know, they said, why are we going to pay him if he's just going to walk in free agency when, you know, he's not going to pitch for us this year? And I do think there's actually a remote chance he comes back at the end of the season. Um, but I think the big thing for me with Woodruff is it's going to be interesting. Is he going to sign a, like a two-year deal or something that guarantees him a little bit of money this year and then next year? Uh, he can kind of come back and prove it on a one-year deal, or is he going to just wait and you know take the full season off and come back next year and sign in the off season? You know, after doing like a showcase or something to show that he's healthy. Uh, I think that's going to be the interesting thing here. But I definitely really like, um, you know, I like Brandon Woodruff. I think he's a really good pitcher, and it, it would be interesting to see if if a team takes a flyer on a two-year deal or a short deal with him. Uh, to see if maybe he can come back this year late in the season and, and help out a maybe a playoff contender. And if not, you know, you got 2025, uh, you know, he could he could come back then and help the team. So uh, definitely hated to see that. And then, you know, there's there's several other non-tenders that I'm sure will will be interesting when they sign. Um, you know, I think off the top of my head, maybe uh, Austin Meadows was kind of an interesting one that, you know, kind of uh, – when he was with the Rays, he was really good type thing. Um, you know, there's been a few others as well in that same vein, but um, definitely the big name was Brandon Woodruff because he's a true all-star caliber pitcher that, you know, that is now on the free market. I think I, I'm guessing a team is definitely going to sign Brandon Woodruff to a, to a two-year deal. It It's very logical, makes a lot of sense for – Woodruff to find some place he's comfortable with rehabbing and, um, you know, potentially rebuilding his value over the next two years. I, I almost think it's a, it's a lock where he'll take kind of a pillow contract that reduces the total cost for this first season to three, five million, something like that. Very, very minimal. And then the next year is going to be up more like 18 to 20 uh, to kind of reduce the overall cost of that contract, keep that AAV down a little bit, but and the payroll down in the first year, and then kind of more gear him up to be able to take on that second year. 
whether Brandon Woodruff will be able to overcome a shoulder injury, that's what's to, to be seen, right? I mean, Matt mentioned it earlier. It, you you'd feel confident about elbows, that, that the pitcher can get back to how they were. But shoulder injuries are just a little bit scarier. And I know that Woodruff has that shoulder injury. So is it thoracic outlet syndrome or is it a it's a different one, isn't it? Uh, I think it's capsule. I yeah, say. I think it's, it's similar capsule. to Kyle Wright. Yeah, yeah, and and I think Kyle Hendricks just came back from this uh, last year, and he pitched well last year. Compared, you know, he was kind of back to his old self. So, you know, hopefully, there's some kind of uh, confidence growing with this capsule surgery, and hopefully, these guys can get back to it. But, uh, you know, I, I I imagine that Woodruff will be uh, a premium target here for these free agents, uh, this free agent period, and. A lot of playoff-style teams will be hunting for him, but especially the teams that are good at uh, rehabbing pitchers. And, and, you know, that's where I, I I don't know who that is. I don't think any of us do, but I'm sure there's kind of a um, some some ideas in the industry of who those are. And that's where we'll see kind of the rumors for Woodruff pop up is the teams that are the best at you know, the rehab side of things and uh, the team that can get the most creative with this deal, right. To kind of make sure that he, you know, gets compensated right in, in the midst of arbitration, but also, you know, sets him up for a big you know year to come back and then, you know, prove that he's healthy to make a, a run at free agency. So uh, I like Brandon Woodruff. I think this will be a good deal. Um, and then my, my one non-tender to mention was Nick Senzel got non-tendered by the Reds. I think that one will be kind of interesting. He's never been able to stay healthy, but when he is healthy, he's usually pretty good and he can play center field. So, you know, he can kind of, be maybe an interesting little player to to go to one of these teams and try to stay healthy for a full season finally but yeah i mean overall pretty pretty low um low end arbitrate or a non-tender period deadline where only one real star was kind of non-tendered and for a very specific reason being that shoulder injury yeah it's it's not like with some of the other years where we've seen, you know, like a, a Kyle Schwarber or Cody Bellinger, somebody that's going to go in and, and be able to have an immediate impact um, kind of right away. So uh, but that kind of wraps up everything we have uh, on the docket for the show. Uh, next week is winter meetings. So we'll see a ton of action. Um, it's already seems like it's going to start heating up. I wouldn't be surprised if we get another signing or two um, before the winter meetings. And then obviously, um, usually get a good bit of action there and all signs point to the market kind of, kind of waiting on the starting pitching. So if we get a few of those deals, then maybe, uh, you know, we'll see the trade market and then a couple other things kind of start heating up there, but, um, be on the lookout. We'll probably be able to do some emergency episodes. If we get, you know, some of the big signings like a Yamamoto or an Otani, um, you know, we'll, we'll make sure to get back here, but, um, one other thing too, it's not really podcast related, but, um, been meaning to do it for a while. Uh, if you guys are into baseball cards at all, anyone listening to this, uh, Batflip podcast has partnered with somebody to start Batflip breaks. Um, it's a baseball card place. You can go look up all their social medias are just Batflip breaks, same logo, just green. Um, they have a district where they do cheap, affordable breaks if you're into kind of baseball cards type stuff. Um, so go check them out. And uh, if you have your first purchase, it's on district, uh, you get $5 off. So it's pretty much a free team 
um, for what he's what he does. So go check out Hank and the Batflip Breaks page um, and help them kind of get started over there. So anyways, as of right now, our next episode would be what are we looking at? The 12th? Weeks. Is that kind of two weeks? Yeah, two weeks from today. I was going to say, I won't be surprised if we're back next week because with the winter meetings going on, there's yeah. been a lot of there's been a lot of rumors that Otani could sign before the winter meetings. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's a possibility. And then I'll be shocked if we don't have multiple big names go, whether it's trades or signings at the winter meetings. Of course, it might be Wednesday at the winter meetings, but yeah, um, I'll be uh, we'll probably there's a pretty good chance we have an episode before then. Yeah, I would say right now it's scheduled for the 12th, but be on the lookout because I'm sure we'll have some uh, some emergency pods that will be going over some of the big news is uh, big news. That's not really words, but um, some big news uh, and moves that have happened. So um, anyways, anything else you guys want to wrap up on real quick? That's pretty much it for me. Nope. All righty. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in this episode of the Batfoot podcast, and we'll see you back here potentially next week. Thanks everyone.